Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of God of all ages, welcome to the City Place Church Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we thank you for making the time to tune in. Take a moment to get focused, clear your mind, close your eyes, open your heart, and receive what God has for you on this day. I am not Pastor Damon, nor am I Pastor Ty, but I am Chandra. I should have introduced myself earlier, but I did not. I was caught up. Um, but I'm Chandra. I'm one of the dream teamers here. And I have the gift, I mean, not the gift, but I have the privilege and the honor to speak to you all this morning. So, so before we jump in, the first thing that we're going to do is I'm going to pray. Because what I don't want to happen is for me to get in the way. I want God to speak exactly what he wanted to speak to you and for you to receive it exactly how he wants you to receive it. So here we go. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get to speak to your people. Move me completely out of the way. You speak loud and clearly to each and every one of your people. Begin to minister to them exactly how you desire and you see fit, God. Let me not be a distraction. But God, you do exactly what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I was thinking about this message, I always connected to a personal story. If y'all haven't heard me speak before, I always connected to a personal story. So I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about when I was growing up. And when I was growing up, I used to have a lot of mouth, believe it or not. I used to get into so many fights. I did because of my mouth. But in particular, I used to have a lot of mouth with my parents. I don't know why, and I think kids today do this now, they feel compelled to test their parents. And I felt as a child compelled to test my parents. To the point where I knew exactly when to straighten up. And my parents would say these words, you better check your attitude. It was like, if you don't check your attitude, the consequences of you testing me, you are not going to like it. What you had in mind is not going to pay out the way that you want it to. So instantly, when they would say, check your attitude, I would correct my behavior. And so when I started reading the story that we're going to focus on, I titled the message based upon my personal experience as I was growing up. It's going to be called Check Your Attitude. Okay? Now, the story that we're focused on is going to be Solomon. But before we jump into the story of Solomon, I have to give you a little bit of history because I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So Solomon is the son of David. And David, if you read... uh, 2 Samuel through 1 Kings, you'll read the story of David where he becomes the king over Israel. And it talks about his story to becoming the king and his journey as a king. And in those chapters, it talks about how David, God repeatedly says, he had a heart after me. He had a heart after me. He had a heart after me. But there was a moment in David's journey where he makes a mistake. He makes a flaw. There is, he's the king over Israel, so he has a military, he has an army. And there was a person by the name of Uriah who was on their army, 
and he was married to Bathsheba. Bathsheba is home while Uriah is out fighting a battle. David is also home. So then David, David happens to see Bathsheba and he is instantly attracted to Bathsheba. And instead of doing what the Bible says, flee from temptation, he runs towards the temptation and he connects with Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant and then David is like, I got to come up with a plan because he doesn't want anybody to know. So then he's like, I need to have Uriah brought back and for him to connect with Bathsheba so no one would know that the baby is mine. Uriah didn't go with the plan. Then David says, just bear with me, I have to give you the, the history. So then David says, you know what, since Uriah refuses to listen to me, <laughs> I have to come up with another plan. And what he decides is, I'm going to send Uriah back out to war, and I'm going to plot his murder. And then when he gets killed, then I'll marry Bathsheba, and no one will ever know. Well, God knew. And God tells David eventually that that baby is going to die. Bathsheba and David still ends up married. They still remain married. They have another son, Solomon. Solomon is to carry the torch of being the king over Israel after David passes. So David does pass. Solomon becomes the king. He is the king over Israel for 40 years. During that time that he is a king, he also makes a fatal flaw. And that is where we're going to jump in. All right. So we're going to jump into 1 Kings 11, and we're going to read 1 through 13. And it says this, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, all the ites. They, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Not the concubines. Uh, as Solomon grew old, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molet, the detestable god of Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the detestable god of, of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Amalites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to further follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, you will most certainly, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. 
Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. In this chapter, you see that God is upset with Solomon. He is like, I am so done with you right now. You, you did all the things. I am so done with you right now. But as I was reading that chapter, and he goes back and he says, you are not like your father. Your father had a heart after me. And I began to pray. I was like, Lord, but wait a minute. Didn't David sin too? Didn't David plot a murder? Didn't David sleep with someone else's wife? Sorry for the children in here. Didn't David do all the things? But yet you said, you are not like your father. Your heart is not after me like your father. So why is this so different? Why is it so different that God is the repercussions or the response to Solomon is so different than the response to David? If you go back into 2 Samuel, you will see where there's a time after Bathsheba and uh, David had the baby where the, the prophet Nathan goes up and talks to David. He's like, listen, I got a story to tell you. He said, I'm going to tell you, I want to tell you about something. He's like, dude, go ahead. Tell me what, what's the, what's the deal? <laughs> I'm sure it didn't go down like that, but whatever. <laughs> so he's like, what was the story? He said, you know, there is this rich man who has many sheep and cattle. And there is this poor man who had one measly old lamb. Meats? I don't, I don't even know if that's a real word, but this measly old, old lamb. And there was this person that goes up to the rich man, and he's like, listen, I need you to give me some food. I'm hungry. And the rich man, instead of going into his own backyard and taking from his own sheep and cattle, he goes to the poor man and takes the measly old lamb that the poor man had to feed the hungry person. And instantly, David responds, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. This man deserves to die. He deserves to die. And Nathan is like, dude, uh, the story's about you. <laughs> like, all of this is about you. You just did this to Uriah. And, but in that, God begins to speak to David through Nathan. And he says this in verse 11. Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them one, them one to who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. In other words, I'm going to embarrass you. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Everybody is going to know. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. That is not how he responded to Solomon. He said, I'm going to tear the entire kingdom when he spoke to Solomon. But to David, he said, the Lord has taken away your sin. So what is the difference between the two? The difference between the two is attitude. 
God says to Solomon in 1 Kings 11, verse 11, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly, most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. There is no doubt. There's no question. There's nothing. Regardless of what you think, I'm tearing it away. Most certainly. There is no doubt at all. It's going to be ripped apart from you. Totally different than how he responded to David. Totally different than how he responded to David. I am going to tear the kingdom away from you. So what is an attitude? An attitude, in essence, is the posture of your heart. It's your heart's attitude. It's your inward disposition toward other things such as people or circumstances. This is what I want you to write down. It's an internal position or feeling with regard to something else. It was due to Solomon's internal position or feeling with regard to God that caused God to respond to him in that particular way. It was Solomon's heart posture. Although David sinned, his heart was still for God. He even acknowledged after Nathan pointed it out, like, dude, this is about you. He was like, oh, my gosh, I sinned against the father. There is no evidence in the other scripture that I read to you where Solomon said, oh, my gosh, I sinned against the father. He never acknowledged that. In fact, in fact, after God had even said the baby was going to die, what did he do? He fasted. He went right back before the Lord and worshiped him even after the baby died. Solomon, where did you go? What happened to you? What caused your heart to change? Because here's the thing. If you go back into the scriptures, you'll see where Solomon did have a heart for God. There was a moment where God was like, you know what? After David had passed, David had started building a temple. Solomon, because he was to carry the torch, he was to finish the temple. But not only did he finish the temple, he, God gave him the resources to fill it with gold and bronze and all these different things to make it beautiful. But not only that, there's a long prayer after the temple is finished where he's like, God, I want you to dwell in this place. I want you to hover in this temple. Let it be your dwelling place. He had this prayer to God and God was like, I hear you. That's going to be my place. I will dwell there. Not only that, God appeared to him twice. He didn't do that with everybody. He appeared to him twice. But here's the other thing. There was a time where God was like, listen, Solomon. And even David told him, if you pursue after God, if he's first, you'll have no worries. You're good. You'll have worries. You'll be able to navigate through them. God will be with you. And there's a time where God was like, what do you want? And the thing that Solomon asked for was wisdom. Out of everything in the world that he could have asked for, he asked for wisdom. And God was so pleased. He was like, dude, I don't know why I'm saying dude a lot, but, but here we go. He's like, <laughs> he's like, dude, you could have asked me for anything. And the thing that you asked me for is wisdom. And not only did God give him wisdom, 
you'll see in the scripture where he says, I'm giving you insight and understanding in addition to wisdom. You're going to be the wisest. But not only that, he said, you're going to be the wealthiest. He was so wealthy and so wise that people from other nations would come to admire his wisdom and his wealth. So what in the world changed Solomon's heart? What in the world caused his attitude to be jacked up? Because that's what it was. Hopefully that's okay. Yeah. The first thing that caused Solomon's heart to change, and it says it in that chapter that we read, is sin. It's sin. And I know you're like, but David sinned. Yeah, he did. Solomon did too. But he had unrepentant sin. You better preach, girl. (laughs) He had unrepentant sin. If you look back at that scripture, the Bible, God had already told the Israelites, do not intermarry with foreign wives. Solomon not only did it once, but he did it 700 times. And then he had 300 concubines. My God. He did it 700 times. What does repentance mean? To turn. To turn. Dude never turned. He never turned. He kept going and going and going and going and going. 700. Hundred times. Unrepentant sin. People on the front row. (laughs) Stop laughing. (laughs) Here's my question for you. Is there anything in your heart that you have yet to repent from? Here's the harder question. Have we allowed sin to become a lifestyle? Have we allowed sin to become a lifestyle? Have we become so comfortable with the sin that we don't even recognize it as a sin anymore? Sin is the quickest way to corrupt the heart. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as the Bible says. But there's a difference between you make a mistake and then you repent, you turn. You you may make a different mistake, you repent, you turn. But to continuously do the same thing, over and over and over and over and over and over without a turn. My God, what happens to the heart? Unrepentant sin affected Solomon's attitude. The second thing that affected or infected Solomon's attitude was arrogance. Arrogance. The reason why God said not to marry from other areas, foreign areas, was because it would turn their hearts to other gods. In Deuteronomy 7, 3, 4, it says this, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Listen, I'm sorry. But if God came to me and said, listen, if you do this, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And when that happens, oh, I'm going to be upset. 
And when I get upset, oh, you're going to be destroyed. Do you think? I'm going to be like, let me jump into that. No, absolutely not. The arrogance of somebody thinking that, oh, my gosh, I can handle that. That's okay. You know what? It's not going to happen to me. I know that you've been doing all these things. I know. I know that you blessed me in this area. I know that you've been walking with me. I know you gave me wisdom. You gave me insight. You gave me all these things. You ain't going to do that to me. I'm not going to be so overconfident to think that God, what he has already warned me against, he will not do. He's a God that cannot lie. So why would he tell me that he's given me a warning and still do it? He was overconfident. He was arrogant. And here's the thing. If you look back at the scripture, Solomon was more focused on probably the immediate gratification But God was concerned about the long-term effect. If you go back into that scripture, it says that in his old age is when his heart turned towards other gods. It's the incremental impact that God is most concerned about. The things that God has been like, I need you not to entertain these particular things because I know that you feel like you can handle it right now, but you don't know the incremental impact that it's going to have on your heart over time. And then you'll be turned towards other gods. And I told you, if you turn towards other gods, what's going to happen? So what are we, you know, I like to ask questions. What are we entertaining that God said, leave alone? Could it be relationships? Could it be certain movies? Could it be certain music? Could it be certain concerts? Could it be certain conversations? Could it be connections? Could it be certain business ideas and business plans? And God is like, I don't want you to entertain those things because I know what's going to happen to your heart. And I want to draw you closer to me. And that's going to pull you further away. Here's the question to ask yourself after that. Has it been affecting or even infecting your attitude? It's the incremental effect that God is concerned about. You may not feel it now, but 20 years looking back, that's a long time. 20 years looking back, it was that one decision that reshaped the future. The third thing that affected Solomon's heart, if y'all don't know, I am not long-winded. We won't be here long. (laughs) The third thing is idols. Solomon began worshiping idols. Back in in those days, they had pagan gods that they would worship and they would sacrifice things before those idols. The Bible even talked about the detestable gods, meaning that there were gods that they were sacrificing children before. For whatever reason, detestable, gruesome, horrifying. He had gotten to the point where he was sacrificing children before gods. But nowadays, there aren't as pagan gods... That's not really the the big thing, although there are people that still do that. But there are other idols 
that we have allowed ourselves to erect and we sacrifice before ourselves. But before I jump into the three different idols that I came up with, and I believe that a lot of things would fit into that, I want to give you a definition of what an idol is. An idol is any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, money, other than God. It is your dedication and your devotion to a particular act or thought over God. I'm going to reread that because that's a big one. An idol is any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, or money other than God. It is your dedication, your devotion to a particular act or thought over God. I have identified three different idols. The first one is ego. It is the feelings, it's the desires, it's the frustrations, it's the pride, it's the insecurities, it's the different things that we may try to fill, in our, to fill the void with other than God himself. And we become so consumed with the different desires, whether they're in alignment with God or not, we get so consumed with the different things that we have uh, frustrations about or that we're insecure about, that God is like, I can't even move because you are so dedicated to that thought. I can't even, you can't even hear me because you have erected this idol of ego over me. The desires, the frustrations, the pride, the insecurities, the things that we navigate through life, we're so, it's consuming our conversations where God is like, where am I going to be a part of that conversation? We, the first thing that we think of in the morning, our desires, our frustrations, our pride, our insecurities. And God is like, then I tell you, the frustrations in life, you're going to have them. But I have overcome the world. The insecurities, in him I live and move and have my being. You have to surrender the ego right back under God. The second type of idol is our stuff. Somebody say, mm-hmm. <laughs> our stuff, our house, our cars, our job, our job. We're so devoted to our job that God is like, you won't even, you won't even do certain things because your job has com- completely consumed you. Your house could be a haven for some people. But it's my house. Who am I going to? Nope, they can't come in my house. That's my house. And God is like, yeah, I gave you that house. That job, I gave you that job. That money, I provided, not the job. And God is like, I want to move through you because there's so much more. But you have got to surrender your stuff. It has consumed our thoughts, our energy, our time, our devotion. And God wants to do so much more, but we got to surrender it. The last thing, and this is where Solomon messed up, is control. 
in those days, marriage was a political strategy. They would marry to form a form of peace and strength. And God had blessed Solomon with all these different things. Like I said, the wisdom, the insight, the understanding, and the wealth. And what he did was he came up with a strategy to build peace and strength. If you go back to those scriptures, it says that all 700 of those wives were of royal blood. So that tells me that he intentionally selected those people to formulate a political strategy between all those nations instead of trusting God. He was so disillusioned to think that his ability, the gifts that God had blessed him with, was equivalent to God's power. (laughs) He was disillusioned to think that the gifts that God had blessed him with was equivalent to God's power. When God is like, you are, so, you are so worshiping. Here's the thing. The idol didn't start with the worshiping of the gods. The first idol was his control. He had idolized his gifts and had idolized what God had blessed him with. But instead of surrendering his gifts and saying, God, you know my desire. God had already said, if you just ask me and you put me first, I give you whatever you want. If he had just said, God, I want to have a peace and a strength between nations, God would have said, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. I'll give you a plan. I'll give you strategy. I'll give you all these different things. But no, now you're going to go against the very thing that I instructed you not to do, to come up with your own strategy, to come up with your own plan, because now you are trusting your own, the gifts that I gave you. He is the person that gets, here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. My thing is this. If God is the one that gave you the gift, it's kind of like, I was thinking this morning, I was like, it's kind of like if I bless somebody with a car and the person, let's say it was a Mercedes, praise the Lord. (laughs) If I bless someone with a Mercedes or Tesla, let's go all the way up. (laughs) If I bless somebody with a Tesla and they start driving that Tesla and they start thinking, man, I'm better than you. I'm better than you, you know. But it's like, listen, you didn't buy the Tesla. I gave you from my surplus. I gave it to you from my surplus. This is not like I went into a deficit to give you the Tesla. God did not go into a deficit to give Solomon the blessing. He gave from a surplus. So why would you think that your power, the gift that I have given you, is going to be equivalent to my power. He was disillusioned. How many times have we allowed the gift that God has blessed us with, the intellect, the financial strategy, the financial wisdom, the finances, the connections, the relationships, the mental ability to come up with different strategies, and we trust that over God himself. And he's like, I'm the one that gave it to you. I have the surplus. He allowed control to be his God. Check your attitude. If we were to go way back, check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Here's what I want you to know. The, The ego 
is connected to how you see yourself. The stuff is connected to how you want others to see you. The control is connected to how you see God. The ego is connected to how you see yourself. The stuff is connected to how you want others to see you. But the control is connected to how you see God. Can I be vulnerable just for a minute? I'm a very private person. And I've only shared this story probably with, well, YA know a little bit, whatever, you know. But I've shared it with Benny, Teresa, our pastors. Um, But if you knew a little bit of my story, you would know that at one point in my life, I was married. And then I got, I went through a divorce. I went through a divorce in 2017. Not going to jump harp on this, but there was a moment... (laughs) where I actually showed up at Benny and Trista's house at like 6 o'clock in the morning because I was just that heartbroken. It happened to be on his birthday. Did not know it because I wasn't thinking about that. But I fell. I, <laughs> I fell into their arms and I was like, I, it, was, it was like a movie, but yeah. But it happened to be on their birthday. But during that time, It was one of the hardest things I ever went through. When I tell you I was literally on the floor, couldn't cry no more. I'm like, God, I don't even know if I can create any more tears. Like, there's nothing else, nothing else to give. And God had to heal my heart. I was so like, God, I did did everything right. I did everything right. How is it that I'm ending up in a divorce? What is the deal? According to me, I did everything right. And I began, God began to heal me. And then several months ago, this is the part nobody really knows. Several months ago, I started talking to this young man. When I say young, obviously same age as me. This is not, (laughs) I don't want y'all to get the wrong idea. Totally legal. My God. <laughs> Please let it be clear. <laughs> and and I was <laughs> Pastor David gonna look at this and be like, "What the world was going on?" <laughs> so I was talking to this to this guy, and. I was like, you know what? This guy, he is so in love with you, Jesus. He is so in love with you. And I was like, Lord, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. And then after a month, it didn't last that long. After a month, it ended. And honestly, like I said, Benny's saying this because he knows the story. But afterwards, when it ended, my heart was broken. Not because I was so into the guy. Because we hadn't built that type of a relationship. But it was because of what it meant when it ended. And I remember saying, God, the very next day, I was like, God, if you don't want me to be married, if you don't see it in my future, 
tell me and strip the desire away from me. But then I said, Lord, but if it is in your plan for me to be married, strengthen what remains and tell me. Now, that sounds like a great prayer, doesn't it? And I was like, I need you to tell me, Lord. And I'm sitting there like, oh, in my quiet time. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I need you to answer, Lord. I'm in my quiet time, and I'm waiting for the Lord to respond to what I asked. He didn't answer the way that I thought he would. The very next thing that I heard from God was, don't let it be an idol. Don't let it become an idol. Regardless of my plan, you cannot erect this thing and make it to be the thing in which you make your decisions from. Because that's what happens with idols. It becomes the thing. If it's ego, if it's control, if it's stuff, it becomes the place in which you make your decisions from instead of making it from God's voice. And here's what's crazy. It wasn't wrong for me to have the desire to be married. So long as the desires are in alignment with God, it's fine. It can come from a pure place. But the devil has a way to turn something that which is good, that you, the desire that is in alignment with God, to mess with your mind and make you put that thing higher than God himself. I had to say, Lord... Immediately when I heard that, I was like, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I allowed myself to be so consumed with the desire, so focused on something that I want, so focused on this very thing that I'm like, Lord, where is this? And God is like, here am I. Here's what I want you to know. Frustrations in life will happen. God even said to himself. The gifts that God has for you, he'll give them to you. He will. Your gift will make room for you. Right? The desires that he has for you, he wants you to desire those things. But what he does not want is for it to take priority. We have to surrender it unto the Father. Here's what happened with Solomon. Because of his arrogance, because of his sin, because of his idols, the decisions that he made, it affected generations after that. The Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for out of it determines the course of life. For out of it determines the course of life. If he had allowed himself to guard his heart, being on the offense, and surrendered unto God, the entire plan, the entire thing that would have happened would have been different. The enemy knows your gifts. He knows what you desire. He knows your struggle. He knows your frustrations. He knows all those things. So why wouldn't he try to turn it just a little bit to steal your future? We have got to choose 
to be vigilant. We have got to choose to surrender the things, all the things under God, and be on the offense for what God has in store for us. There are three different things. If Solomon had done this, it would have changed everything. In order for us to be vigilant and on the offense for our heart's attitude towards God, we have to have quick repentance. If it's sin, repent. Turn. Simple as that. Simple, but maybe not easy. Sin is the quickest way to corrupt the heart and then turn the heart to other gods. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The God, is, God has given us step by step by step. He says, first, if you will come to me, if you will come to me, seek my face, turn, repent from your ways. Then, once you do that, then I'll hear you. Then I'll forgive you. And then I'll respond. Quick repentance. The second thing is to put God back in his rightful place. I know this may sound crazy, but we are not smarter than God. It's like we know that, but what we do says something different. We have got to surrender our ego, surrender our stuff, surrender control, let go of pride, let go of the arrogance, and remind ourselves of how big our God is. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able, this is the focus scripture for two years, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Whose power? God's power. It is not by our power that we can do exceedingly and abundantly. It is by God's power that works through us that all things happen. The last thing is you have to renew your mind. I said that the first idol that Solomon had was control before he even stepped into worshiping other gods. He worshiped control. Your attitude shift starts in the mind. I wrote this down. A thought that is repeated becomes an idea. That idea then becomes a belief. That belief feeds the heart and the heart creates an attitude. And what is an attitude? It's the posture of the heart in regard to person or thing. We have to the Bible says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So obviously he's concerned about our mind. 
For as he thinks, Proverbs 23, 7, in his heart, so is he. Your heart's attitude. Listen, I know that this was not a run around the church, make you feel good, happy message. It wasn't. But the reason why I feel like God placed this message on my heart is because he wants to do so much. Our pastors have already declared that this is the year that God finishes what he started. But what I don't want is for us to be the reason why he doesn't. There's so much that he can do, not only corporately, but individually. And I believe that he is doing it. But what we got to do is make sure that our heart is right with the Father. If it's sin, let's turn. If it's arrogance, let's get it together. If it's idols, surrender it. Everybody close your eyes. If this message touched your heart and you feel like there's something I've got to surrender either it's sin, if it's the arrogance, if it's the idols, if that is you, I want to give you the opportunity to repent, to put it right back, put God right back in his rightful place, and to get your mind right. If that is you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I see you. Yeah. Father, I thank you for using me as a vessel to bring your people back to you. God, we know that we may have messed up If it was sin, Lord, we we ask that you please forgive us. And we turn completely away from it. And we put you right back in your rightful place. God, we surrender the desires, the frustrations of life. We surrender pride. We surrender the insecurities. We surrender control. God, you have full authority over our lives. God, we surrender our stuff. You're the one that gave it to us anyway. Use us for your glory. Have your way in our heart. Correct where things need to be corrected and put our hearts right back in alignment with you. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed. For some of you, maybe you haven't given your life to Christ and that is the beginning of all things I will tell you this if I did not have the relationship with Christ that I have today I don't know how I would have made it through some of the things that I've made it through it is the greatest thing the best decision that I've ever made in my entire life no person could give me what God has given me. 
And this is your opportunity to have the same thing too. He can do things in your heart and in your life that nobody else can. And I want to invite you into a relationship like that. If you would like to give your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three. And I want you to raise your hand boldly and proudly. One, two, three. to repeat after me. Father, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and raising up again. Thank you for your grace and mercy every day. I surrender my life. I surrender my will unto you. Have full control. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my friend. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's all I got for y'all. Thanks for joining us. If you've been encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe to the City Place Church podcast. And we want to hear from you. Post a picture on any of your social media outlets with the hashtag City Place Church to be a part of the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.